this is the Baileys. It's a really hard part of, of what, what we do and hopefully we can all stay as safe as we possibly can. But there is something about soloing that hones who you really are in the sense of this is full in, this is fully in. I have to be really present to these moves and everything that's happening. The Bail List is supported by the legends at Wild Earth. Check them out on social media at Wild Earth Australia for outdoor tips, gear and inspiration. We are also supported by Awesome Woodies, top quality, handcrafted and Australian-made training tools available at Wild Earth and online. Can we get philosophical for a second? I want to talk about free soloing. It's always existed at the fringes of outdoor climbing, a deeply personal and often really private experience for bold individuals. Then the 2018 documentary happened incredibly shot by Jimmy Chin and starring Alex Honnold awkwardly interacting with his girlfriend as he prepared to be the first person to climb El Cap without a rope. Suddenly, the concept of free soloing jumped the containment lines of the climbing community and we were all getting hit up by non-climbers asking if we too did that free climbing like that guy in the movie and were forced to do quick mental calculations about whether it was worth explaining to anyone the difference between free climbing and free soloing. Anyway, let's take it back decades before the invention of camera phones and before the North Face ever entertained the thought of custom tailoring a tuxedo for a car-dwelling dirtbag to wear to the Oscars, which is a thing that actually happened. Brad Fennell shares his personal history of free soloing and what he reckons the future of the discipline will be. Hey people, it's Brad Fennell here on The Bail List and I'm super excited to tell you a little bit about my story, my climbing history, which, good lord, is like 40 years. So as a climber, I started very trad. I started top rope and then went to trad and then went to sports. Now, you know what, having a 16-year-old son, I think I love um, the little sports and bouldery which is the wrong end of the age game to be doing bouldering. But it's fun hanging out with him and and hanging out with my community. Actually, wherever the community is, I'll be doing that. I too have a podcast, Turn On The Podcast, all about radically changing your life and living the life that you're really here to live. So you can check that out too. Take two, Brad. Yay! (laughs) Hello, how are you? I'm so good. It's so good to be here. Again. Again. I mean, so sorry. It was great. No, no, no. It's great, and we we've changed the setting. Mm-hmm. We were, we're sitting. It was a little more dreamy last time, wasn't it? it was. Like we were sitting on the veranda, and I don't know how we podcast because it was just kind of you go into the bush and lose yourself. Yeah. But that's really, you know, it's such a powerful place for me being a climber like yourself. 
But today we're in four walls. Yeah, and and the sound quality is probably going to be a lot better. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Have oh, you said you said what happened or mentioned? Uh, yeah, I mentioned it at the end of the last episode right. because usually I would do a snippet for the uh-huh. you know the coming up episode. Got it. And uh, obviously oh. couldn't do that. Got it. There's because, just a bit of wind. Yeah, yeah, it just was sounded really bizarre. Oh, so yeah, yeah I think that, we stimulated. There was so much excitement and good stuff in that yeah, podcast. Crackling just, energy. That's right. It brought the <laughs> <laughs> wind and we we summoned it something like that anyway. maybe yeah. yeah yeah let's go with that let's go it's with that so good. <laughs> gotta have a but great now story. we've had a practice run yeah so this is going to be even better absolutely um so you know I, i've been sort of telling people that you are a veteran of of the climbing community you're one of my trad dad mentors oh. and you've been climbing for 40 years right is it, it was we said that didn't yeah. we? we worked it out like i started when i was 12 and yeah it's coming up coming up close to that so yeah so tell us your origin story your rock climbing origin story well it started it started at school you know like truly my story was I was always a climber and in the being born in the 70s there wasn't the opportunities that we have today there wasn't the same paths um but I was always the kid we were always out having adventures we were trying to climb drag my little sister up cliffs and Doing all sorts of stuff, swimming under um, underwater. The seventies were great. It was like, where were they? At? Where were our parents? There and was smoking in the back. That's exactly right. There was, where where are you? There was nothing. There was that on airplanes. Mm-hmm. There was no. You know, you're in the non-smoking section, and you're sitting next to the dude who's in the smoking section. Anyway, the seventies. They were great, great times. But we just we just went off. There was this sense of adventure, and that was always my nature, being in the bush. That's where I really found home. And then I went to um, a school where I was really blessed that they had an amazing outdoor ed program. And I dropped in and just loved everything about that and, and connected to the after school program, you know, took any opportunity I could, instructed there, there were school camps, all sorts of stuff. And we really started, it was the leftover from the 70s. It was coming into the 80s. And we started climbing, top roping with waist tapes. So you'd tie a tape around your waist with a big metal D, tie onto a tree behind you and then belay somebody up with a rope wrapped around your arm and drop it off the cliff. And if they fell, and I was always one of the belayers and kids were always, I was a small kid, but hanging on for grim life as you're holding onto this rope wrapped around your arm, lowering them off. And I used to, I don't scar anymore. I had that scar for years. So that's, that's where it all began. And then we realized at some point we had a new teacher and he said, you don't actually have to belay on your body. You know, we've got mechanical devices. So. Oh my God, what a revelation. <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> where have you been all my changed life? everything. <laughs> And then we reached a point by the time I was about 15, me and another mate were really into the climbing. So there was the overall outdoor ed program. And our teacher um, who had climbed, who wasn't really interested, so taught us the basics. We were doing top ropes and all that sort of stuff. And we knew how to tie knots on and set up safety systems. But he gave us a homemade hex rack and said here you go boys if you want to go out off you go that's badass dude (laughs) so two 15 year olds with a rack of hexes going out and just starting on really easy stuff and you grew up in the blue mountains grew up in the blue mountains so we went 
you know, we started at Piddington and we went down there and we'd throw hexes around and all this sort of stuff. And then we saw some sports climbing and so that was really taking off and we got excited about that as well and went, let's go buy some quick draws and some bolt plates and that's where we all, we began. And in those days you didn't have the, the videos where you could watch, you couldn't watch things on YouTube just people that suggest things when we were out at the crag and that's where it all began like we really taught ourselves and then learnt from others who were there so you know and then from there we went to Arapolis and that was like an amazing rite of passage of good god what is this place and the, the fear and terror that we first felt as 16 year olds going down and climbing there and just experiencing a whole other level so um and it just became your life, right? Like you dirtbagged for, for a couple of years. For right? years, yeah. Like when I left school, I'd work, I kind of, I got into hospitality. I remember I got a job. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school, except climb. And my parents said there's like a traineeship in this hotel um, and it doesn't start for three months. So I'm like okay I'll do that so that's where it really began and I went off and climbed for three months and then came back in the Blue Mountains was climbing but just spent the next few years after that just working and climbing and living in a tent and going from place to place and just kind of wanting to explore that life you know like school didn't re- wasn't my place climbing really saved me it gave me my place it gave me an identity it gave me it connected me to this sense of freedom that i didn't feel this sense of entrapment so having something like climbing allowed me to really go off and travel and meet people and i think that was one of the biggest things that i got from it was really connecting to people connecting to the community which now being older is probably the main reason that I climb. I always say this, you know, this morning I was at Climb Fit. I would never train like that, ever, by myself. Now, as a 16, 17-year-old, I would. I'd smash myself because I want to get a harder grade and I want to get better. But I just don't care enough anymore. Of course, I'm always pushing and I've got some projects and it's fun. But it's, it's really about the community and connecting with other people. And that's what I think I really fell in love with, you know, this community, the people, the relationships, a place where I guess hopefully we can all be ourselves. We can be the individual radicals that we really are and it's a place where that can get celebrated. And that's really important for me and that's what I love about climbing. Climbing taught me who to be because I think climbing is really just a metaphor for life. And I think about it all the time, like... Whenever I'm doing something hard in my life, it feels like I'm standing at the bottom of that hard, next hard route and I take a few breaths and then it's like I'm on and that's what I have to do. And I don't want to do that, but that's the experience that you have to have. That's the thing you have to do. So climbing has really been a gift in that way for me. Yeah, that's what drew me to climbing as well, the community. Yeah. Yeah, I would say never something, have, say more. I love I that. I would never have stayed in climbing if it hadn't been for, you know, the people that I met. Yeah. It's too damn hard. I know. It hurts. <laughs> it like hurts. Yeah. Your fingers bleed sometimes. <laughs> we went to Burley yesterday and did some bouldering. Down we, on the beach. Yeah, for like an it. hour. Oh, we were like, oh. It's sharp. <laughs> it's so and sharp. You, 
We just we went to the Blueies, back to the Blue. I hadn't been back to the Blueies like really in thirty years. Um, I went back for a school reunion, but just went back, saw that quickly, and went back. And we did four days in a row, which I haven't done forever. And the pain. Day four is really it's it's a hard day. <laughs> yeah. When you're standing at the bottom going, Day two is hard. Day two is hard. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. We, had, with, we yeah. had a lot of rest days in the Warren Bungles. Yeah. How many yeah. days were you there for? Uh, uh, we climbed, we had five full days. Yeah. Climbed three of them. That's so wise. It's hard. That's so wise. I think five's good because you do that. Four, yeah. it's like, we did two you half days and stuff. You got to pack it in. So, mm. yeah. So, what I want to ask you about, I mean, when we talk about you, you dirtbagging, Brad, this mm-hmm. is not 2021 dirtbagging in a van. It's like dwelling <laughs> in a cave with no shower for a month and like dumpster diving, right? Like that's the level yeah, of yeah, that's what was going yeah. on. Well, when we were in the States, we found a $600 green Volkswagen Beetle, which was perfect and had no back seat. And we traveled around the US in that and it broke down and, you know, we're in, we went out for a day in the, um, in the hot springs and it broke down on the way. And we thought if we just push it up this hill, then we'll clutch start. It'll be all right. Anyway, we, we spent like hours pushing up this hill, finally started to roll it down the hill and it just, it wouldn't roll. It was so old and rusty. Anyway, we hitched in, but it was those sorts of experiences where we just, when we're in the States, uh, once every two weeks we go and get like a $20 motel and sneak it, sneak a few of us in and some would sleep on the floor. But you'd have shower and cable TV and $5 buffets where it was just like feast time. So it was extraordinary, you know, living at Arapolis for eight weeks. That's when there was no, you didn't have to pay to be there at that time. And if I'm honest, eight weeks was probably... A little too long because you do start to get really, really cooked. And we'd hitch into Natamak, um once a week and have a shower. And I don't know why the hell anyone would pick us up. But the amazing people down there outside the climbing community really loved and supported, you know, the climbers there. So, you know, that was a really, you know, I remember being 17 and being pretty much the only Australian in the campsite. So it was suddenly going to this place full of Europeans and it just blew my mind being in that place. And is that what made you want to travel, meeting all of these internationals? I think so. I've never really thought about it. I thought I always wanted to, but I think you're spot on. I think it was actually that. It was going to that, that place and meeting these people. I mean, it's why eventually we definitely need the borders to open so other people can experience you know like yes that we go out into the world but these people come to us and i think what climbing gives you is a chance to really connect and relate to foreigners which often we don't if someone's just a tourist they turn up and they go and we don't really see them we don't really get to know them so it was a great opportunity just to sit in a campsite and and meet i met some really amazing uk climbers climbed with people who are climbing much harder than me who really took me under their wing and and just dragged me up things as well and was extraordinary you know that the elders that have always been in this community that that love love the enthusiasm of youth that's always coming up these young whippersnappers who i'm trying to now look after you know my 16 year old son um of the three boys that i have he's really loving it and getting super strong so 
you know, I'm trying to just not let him rule too quickly, but that's not going so well for me. Sidebar, I might edit this out, but I loved that faceplant video. Oh, don't edit that out. No, that was, what a, what commitment. And he was completely fine. Basically, he was doing dinos and just landed flat on his face, head like came down, landed. And he was, um, he, he actually loved that video. So he, I love that you posted it. You've got to keep it mumble. So funny. But he, that was the first thing he said to me. He said, did you get that on video? It was one of those nights everyone was crashing down. But, yeah. Um, at that age, at 16, you land, of course, he's bouldering, so he's on a crash. He's on an indoor bouldering, so he's on a crash mat. Um, but at that age, you actually get up and you're okay. I know. That's I'd like, be down for a week if that That's happens. right. You'd just, you'd just be like, every vertebra would have got shaken. And he just, he just gets back up. And that's what I said. I don't, I don't do that. It was like when the boys were riding motorbikes. They used to fall off and that. And if I was on a bike, pushy, anything, it's like, I do not come off anymore. You just yeah. don't bounce quite as well. So knowing, knowing where you're at is super important. But it's hard sometimes when you've got young whippersnappers you know, biting at your heels. I think one of the things that I have always noticed and admired about you, Brad, is that you do have a really good understanding of your limitations mm. and how much risk you're willing to sort of mm. welcome into your climbing. Mm. Um, and I'll be real, it's a lot more risk than I would welcome into <laughs> my climbing. <laughs> um, but I wonder mm. in, a, in a big way if that's because of your history of soloing that you've had. I think, you know, when we were, I think it's, it's soloing, it's also, you know, two 15-year-olds having to take responsibility for themselves and where they're at. And I don't actually take anywhere near the risks that I would have in the past because I know where I'm at, I know what I'm comfortable with, with what I'm comfortable with. There's still times where I actually really, it feels better for me sometimes to run it out. There's something about that. And then other times there's not. But I think climbing gives you the opportunity to really know yourself. Yes, to push yourself, but also there's this whole, I really like this Taoist idea around when we're young, we push and we drive ourselves. But eventually we start to fatigue. If we do that too hard, we're swimming against the stream. And how do we know our own nature? How do we really follow that? And I think if we go against that for too long, that's when shitty things happen. So, you know, not pushing because you think people are going to love it. I remember Peter Croft with Alex Honnold. Um, and I met Peter Croft. He used to climb a lot of Arapiles. And he was the old soloist in um, um, Free Solo. Yeah. And there was something about him. There's something beautiful about his old wisdom where he was just saying, make sure you know why you're doing it. It's like, and don't do it for the cameras. Don't do it for anyone else. It's like, make sure it's right, truly right for you. And for me, you know, some people are like, some people are purists around how you should climb. I'm actually not. And, you know, I'm happy. If people want to top rope, top rope. If you want to lead, if you want to solo, but just do you, know you. And, um, and that's what climbing gives you the opportunity to really know yourself. What are you comfortable with? Maybe... Maybe you just love the moves and you just want to top rope. Maybe, you know, you just want to do sports climbing or maybe you love the feeling of being on a, you know, I'll never forget sitting, being at a Rapalese and watching, watching one of these English dudes with a, a zero RP 
which is just never going to hold if you fall. But it's just like this mental kind of sense of peace. I've got a piece in. I've got something in. You know, but I don't but, know. Uh, it's like I know. He's sketchy. He's got Elvis legs happening and everything. But you know, it's extraordinary. There's an opportunity for us to know ourselves. Sometimes it feels better for me to run it out. It's like this is where I just need to move. I need to, you know, have this experience or this is a time and place to put some gear in. But know yourself. That's that's for me, you know, I did more dangerous stuff in my youth. I don't really do much. I I'd solo something if it was really easy, but I'm not really drawn to that so much anymore. I'll run stuff out if it feels right. When we were out, I think I had a ground fall, but I felt really, that was a few years back, I felt really comfortable with that where I was. You know, I just breathed and relaxed. I remember, you know, I remember being at Arapiles and on this, was it 23? And the top section turns into 18, but at like 40 metres you've got a ground fall. So it's it's basically soloing and, and you know, Knowing that, a lot of Arapiles, you need to really know who you are and what you're doing. I wouldn't do that anymore. I'm not interested. <laughs> I've seen you take some monster whippers in the past couple of years. I have. Sorry. That still happens. <laughs> yeah, that still happens at times. Actually, um, Tarquin, the 16-year-old, he took he took one even just up at Pages the other week. He had a ton of rope out. and but he's safe and I'm safe. and And I like that. It's like, what do I need to do? Look down, I'm safe, I'm good to go, let's just focus on the moves and do what really needs to be done. That's the metaphor for life. It's like we can sit too long at that last piece of gear, and but do we go, this is what needs to be done. Just, okay, I'm safe, put your fear away for a moment. Or I'm not safe, and don't put too much of your fear away. Be really aware, switch on to what's really going on. And that's what's really exciting and interesting about climbing is we get to have this relationship with ourself. Ooh. Talk me through some of your like iconic solos, some of the solos that you've done that really stick out for whatever reason. Uh, look, with those, there's, there's been... There has, there's been multi, you know, I think... Actually, my favourite solo of all time is an easy solo, The Bard, down at Rapalis. And the main reason for it, and you just brought my awareness to it, of why it was, was because the sun was setting, we're down there in the evening, and um, Peter Croft's wife was down there, and uh, Jerry Moffat and Sean Miles, who at the time were like the best climbers in the world and we've been watching them just do ridiculous stuff and there was a few of us and they said we're going to go solo the bard and I reckon we only had about 45 minutes until the sunset and um just so people know what what is the bard but so it's simple it's a 12 I think it's about it's been a while now is it six or eight pitches it's about 150 meters it's a grade 12 so it's super easy but it meanders there's a really interesting traverse that kind of pushes you out and you want to go in and try and find safety in it but you actually need to get pushed out and as you're traversing you're over i'm guessing about a 40 meter drop so you're kind of tiptoeing across this thing but I was there with these people and I'll never forget um, Jerry Moffat and Sean Miles just 
the banter and the play and the moment of watching the sunset and um, just really enjoying, in a sense, the community and the eldership and being, you know, really present with that. And that's, that's the one, out of anything else that I've done, that's the one that actually really matters to me. That's the one that's really important because, again, it wasn't just about me. I don't think I knew that. I don't think I actually fully knew that in, in my youth. I think I found that later, that it was the community, it was the people. And when you're young, I don't think you get that. Because you think it's all about the rock. You think it's all about the grades. And um, I, think, I think if I had any teaching, and that's wherever I'm climbing, that's the teaching. It's like, let's connect and help people to be who they are and express themselves on the rock. What soloing really brought for me was the ability to contain my fear and in that moment and just really enjoying being with other people. Free soloing uh, has really kind of taken centre stage, um, not just for the climbing community, for sort of the entire, you know, film-watching community over the past couple of years with the release of Free Solo, obviously starring Alex Honnold and shot by Jimmy Chin, an iconic photographer. Yes. So that, to me, it feels like there sort of has been maybe a little bit of an evolution around soloing. I mean, you talked about Peter Croft Mm -hmm. saying that it was kind of a deeply personal, almost spiritual experience, Mm. and it sounds like it kind of was that for you as well. Mm. Do do you think there's sort of been a change in perception about why people solo? Do you get the sense that people feel like it's sort of the end game? Like there's a a Mm. contingent of climbers who feel like it's the climbing end game now in terms of like the pinnacle of success? Yeah, I mean, obviously there probably would be because of the, the popularity of that film, how it's been brought into, you know, into the mainstream. And that's what people are seeing. And I guess that's, you know... Alex Honnold is probably now the best known rock climber in the world, without a doubt. And it was interesting. Peter Croft, from the man that I met, is a very humble, very shy guy. But all these guys used to go off and do a lot of this, you know, by themselves. It was, in a sense, a deep spiritual experience. And I think that's what I actually, you know, in some ways I just said I enjoyed the community. But sometimes I enjoyed just going and doing something really easy. The, the ability to just go climb on your own. And I think even sometimes doing something really easy, you know, how do you have, in a sense, a spiritual experience? But I think one of the the best things about that, you know, people who aren't climbers go, Alex Honnold's insane, maybe. But I actually don't think he is. One, he's still alive, so he's not that insane. It took him eight years, from what I understand from that film, to actually do it, to really understand, to really dial those those moves in. And one of my favourite parts, there's a couple of parts that are my favourite of that film, but the way he backs off the first time down on that slab, for me that slab move is just terrifying. Like that moment where you're just, you're standing on nothing, you've got nothing on your hands. Um, that foot pops is like, it doesn't matter how you low down, but you're still high enough to be toast. Um, 
and he just had this ability to go not today to really check in with himself you know and he has enough knowledge and experience to do that you know it was funny I saw him um, have you seen him on Bear Grylls oh yeah oh my god that is the dumb look I love Bear Grylls and I love Alex Arnold but that is just the dumbest thing I've ever it's seen it's hilarious when <laughs> Bear Grylls is going are you scared on this and he went well I would be if I thought I'd fall but actually <laughs> well I'm not you know and and so Alex Honnold has spent a lot of time doing that and knows who he really is. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting now he's in a relationship. Does that change things? Down the track, if he chooses to have kids, does that change things? That, you know, it's, it's less personal? I don't know. A lot of the old guys aren't with us anymore. You know, we're found at the bottom of the cliffs. So... Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting journey. I think I I want the radical nature of climbing to live. You know, the, my era was really the stone monkeys where it was a rebellion. I love that aspect, the the rebel in me. And how does that still exist in me and how do I bring that to the world and how does climbing remind me of that? And, yeah, and if you don't know what that is, go and watch Valley Uprising. Yes. That's a really good yes. kind of depiction of the history of Yosemite yeah. And, yeah. and climbers like that. Yeah, and it, yeah. it tells the story, the generation and how it's evolved. And I think we still need those. You know, when we were climbing in our youth, we built our own gyms. There wasn't any. The moon board, basically, we were all building those moon boards um, in, our, in, in our parents' garages. Me and Stuart, one of the guys I grew up climbing with, became a really, really top Australian climber. It was the first Australian to get punks in the gym. And we stuck, uh, went and found rocks and stuck them over the side of his parents' garage and put chains around and ropes. And we would train during school and after school and, um, you know, and just traverse again and again in his garage. And we chip chip uh, away at our parents brick and so we're kind of lucky in that era that our parents let us do all those sorts of things so i was actually talking recently to my partner andrew about free solo i watched it again before in preparation for coming to talk to you Mm. um and and i just picked up on something you just said which is that you know you want the radical nature of the sport to continue Mm. there have to be people like Mm to kind of push the boundaries right and I actually said something similar to Andrew the other day I said you know Alex Honnold has to exist to show us what's possible but I'm really glad he's not my friend (laughs) I'm really glad I don't know someone that's doing stuff like that because for me and and I just want to say this again I love Alex Honnold Mm. I think he is you know in all his quirky glory is an amazing guy um but there was a part of me when I was watching Free Solo, particularly watching Sonny, his girlfriend, now mm. wife, mm. and some of his friends who mm. were shooting his, you know, multiple attempts on El Cap, um, seeing their reactions like they were about to watch him die, right? I mean, you know, I, I remember thinking when I was watching this, that is a selfish act. Yes. You know, it has to, it's a service to himself and it's a service to the community in a way but it is a selfish 
act. Yes. What do you think about that? I love that. And you brought up, I said too, there's two things I really loved about that film. And the second one was his mate down in the bottom filming. Reacting. Reacting, going, I can't watch this. Yeah. I love him. And I love that you say Alex Honnold is off your friend list. It's you know it's like I nah. wish I could be friends with him, but at the same time, you seem like such an interesting guy. I'd yeah. love to be friends with you, but that's just too hard mm. and a selfish act. And in some ways, we need that. That's a role in the field of of experience. We also it's it's a it's a tricky game because we need those people that are you know they've always been here. The explorers that have died. The the people who want to push... I don't know what the answer to that is, but I know it's a role within us, you know, and where do we... I always say, if something disturbs you, if you love something about somebody, okay, maybe you could be more like that. And if you hate something about somebody, maybe you also need to be a little more like that. Now, maybe we don't want to go out and be Alex Honnold and Solo, and I think most people should not do what he does. But where in our own life do we need to take more risk? Where as a community do we marginalise risk? Because in the end, we're all going to lose. In the end, we're all going to die. And I always like to think, on your deathbed, did you live your life? Was it the life that you lived? And there has to be some form of risk. So it's true. I don't know where I stand, but Alex Honnold in many ways is now is becoming part of mythology. And like all of mythology, it symbolizes part of us. So maybe there's somewhere in our life. Again, I don't think people, most people probably shouldn't solo, don't need to solo. I don't think I'm keen on my 16-year-old son. Someone said to me, does it freak you out watching him? And he's not into soloing. He actually loves bouldering, which is kind of cool. Like he's taken a few whippers, but his favorite thing is bouldering, just doing the moves course when he's young um but people say to me when you watch him does it freak you out it actually doesn't at all and it's like they have to commit to that in a world where i don't want to say this in a sexist way but mother not as a woman but as a role that role of keeping people safe how do we balance and we're, we're getting more and more of that in our life where we're getting more mothered again not in a, as a woman like a man could mother Keeping you safe, keeping you protected. It's a good thing, but it's also not too good because we live in a world of danger. This is a dangerous place, meaning we can get it wrong, we can fail. And I think that's what's so amazing about climbing is if there's no risk, there's a risk coming on this podcast. I could say something really dumb. You know what I mean? It happens. It happens. (laughs) I do it all the time. And, you know, there's a risk there and we have to ask, where is it I want to take risks in my life? Where has my life become a little too dull for me? So, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I love the story of Alex Honnold and I think we need the Alex Honnolds in our life. And thank God he's still alive. I hope he lives to a really old age. And, you know, maybe when he's 80, he'll be soloing 12s. With his mates, who knows? That would be sick. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I guess what concerns me um, as someone that's a, a very, you know, safety conscious just person in general, and obviously I bring that to 
climbing, I, I sort of did worry when Free Solo came out yeah. about the effect it would have in terms of, of, of glorifying and potentially publicizing yeah. Free Solo climbing. I mean, um, you know, traditionally it was, I get the sense it was kind of this thing that people didn't really talk about. Yes. Um, and, and obviously, like you said, there have been really significant losses. I mean, the Queensland climbing community just suffered a really significant yeah. loss very recently of a yeah. young guy who was soloing. And obviously, like, I don't want to speak to his motivations yeah. or yeah. anything yeah. like that. But, um, you know, I, I just get worried about, um, you know, I mean, obviously, if you make a mistake when you're soloing, you die. So, you know, did, did that ever cross your mind, the kind of consideration of uh, friends, family, people, even first responders who might be affected by, you know, a, a, a mishap, which mm. obviously only mm. ends in one way. Mm. Um, in my youth, no. Um, because that youth, youth is a little more selfish, generally. You know, there's more focus on self, you know, and, and having, ha- being a parent to young kids, you don't look, you know getting older we actually understand we understand the effects the effects it has on me when i hear the death around climbing i think we're we're so touched and it's always heartbreaking it's no heartbreaking. matter whether you know them or not and obviously it's that much harder for anyone that does know that person especially their family and close friends yeah it's i remember always sad i remember being young um at Arapolis and and someone passed they were wrapping down at night and went off the end of the rope and you could get hear that that fall it's a really hard part of of what what we do and hopefully we can all stay as safe as we possibly can but there is something about soloing that hones who you really are in the sense of this is full in this is fully in i have to be really present to these moves and everything that's happening but it's it it is a selfish act and it is painful and I don't think well I didn't I should speak for myself if I'm honest I never and and, and you know what and I don't think I thought too much about the consequences I think I put those aside um, I think again in free solo I think it's fascinating when Alex Honnold suddenly has a few of these mishaps. And I always remember Tommy Cadwell, I think, was talking about um, Alex Honnold saying how he never kind of pops off a hold. But those experiences were happening. And, you know, I know that feeling. Sometimes you're super solid. And, um, but like you said, rock can break, foot can pop, your hand can pop. Southeast Queensland, you can run into a snake. You can run into a snake, which I did in America in the back of the desert. Oh, God. A rattlesnake. I'm climbing up. And halfway up, I look up, and it's like, oh, I was on rope. Um, But it was like, oh, okay. So down climbed a little bit and went off to the climb on the side and just moved past where, yeah, you can. Things happen. You never know what happened. And that's what I said. We're we're in that US trip, and we're wrapping down. And someone who, a, a good mate of mine, who wasn't as into climbing was really I was really leading it, but I he'd done lots of training and um, I thought he could just 
take care of himself, which to a degree he could, and the rope flipped around and he let go of the rope and um, we didn't have any safety gear on. And then he was on figure eight and then he re-grabbed it and absolutely burnt, mm-hmm. um, got rope burned to his hands, and, which was pretty bad. But that recovered, he hit the ground, but that was a real wake-up call to me. And I think partially before that, there was a little bit of arrogance that things don't happen, but things do happen, and you you've got to be aware, you've got to be aware of who people are and where they're at, and what's your role in that community, what's your role when you're with people. Just bring your awareness to it. And I didn't. I was young, and so that was a wake up call. Like, oh, I've got to really watch some people sometimes. What uh, considerations do you think people should make? if they want to go out and solo? I think start really easy. Start, get really good at down climbing. (laughs) Like seriously, all the best soloists are really good down climbers. Um, You know, like get good at that. Get good at bailing. All the good guys get really good at down climbing and get really good at bailing. It's like learn to fail. Get better at failing. If you're going to solo... Be really good at failing before you fail. It's like, day I'm not on or I'm not feeling it. High gravity day, whatever it is. But it's okay to bail and start. Just start really easy. Just start. And know if it's your nature or not. Maybe it's not your nature. You know, it's like no one's really... In the end, it's only bloody rock climbing. Like, let's not take it too seriously. Something that's really important to me. Sometimes we take the wrong things seriously. Take your nature seriously. Take what you're here to do seriously. Take who you're really here to be, how you're here to express yourself, how you're here to express yourself on the rock. But don't take it too seriously that you have to do that climb. Do you. I think that's really good advice. Um, And what about the other thing that I'm curious about is any advice you might have to somebody who wants to talk someone out of soloing? Do you think you can talk a friend out of soloing if you're worried about them, Mm. you know, climbing a particular route that you don't think is kind of optimal to be Mm. soloed because of rock quality or whatever it might be? Yeah. What do you think about that? I think know the person, know who they are, and you can, you know, bring awareness to it. Like, bring awareness to them. Do they have awareness around it? You can always try things. Like, see how it goes. One of the techniques I use in my work is all based around feedback. You can suggest anything, and then you can watch feedback. So feedback is, if someone's, like, fully not going to listen to you, you can try. Maybe you need to try. Maybe that's important. But if there's a full-blown no, like, I'm not listening to you, okay. And... If there's a yes, I hear you. Good for you. You've done what you need to do. And maybe there's an edge to what we call edge feedback, where it's like the opposite to that is someone said, you said to somebody, would you like to come out climbing? And they're like, no way, I'm not climbing. But there's all this energy. And it's like, actually, this is the person to encourage. Yeah, come out and have a go. Know the person. There are people that you're not going to talk out of or, you know, know you. Do you have to share that? You know, is it important for you? Is it important for them? If you have more awareness, maybe it is important that you bring that awareness to them. It may not help. 
<laughs> yeah, totally. Mm. Uh, like I said before, I think one of the things that's really apparent about you is that you have a really good kind of sense of risk and your personal limitations. Mm. How's that kind of changed for you over your period of your life? I mean, obviously you're saying you kind of used to solo with Wild Abandon when you Mm. were young. Mm. Now you're married and you've got three kids. Mm. How does that change the way that you approach the risk, the inevitable risks of, of rock climbing? It was funny. There was a mentality in me in my youth that it was like my commitment. I was almost wanted to give my life. Like climbing was everything. And there was a part of me that says, um, if I die giving myself to this, so be it. And that's really changed. And in saying that, if I go out one weekend and I do die climbing, it's okay. It's like I'd be a little pissed because I've still got stuff to do. But it's okay as well because I take full responsibility. And I think that's one of the things. You have to take responsibility. Who am I? What do I want to do? And But that's changed because there's things that I want to do other than just rock climbing. It was a part of me when I was young that was very you know, narrow and communicated more easily with anyone who was a climber but couldn't connect to a wider community. And I'm not so interested in that because I think, uh, for me personally, I want to connect with a lot of people, whether you're a climber or not. Um, And so to die for climbing, what climbing really gives me, I know now what, well, climbing gives me fitness, it gives me community, it allows me to laugh at myself, it allows me to fail all the time, it allows me to have mega successes, you know, in any given moment. I just go bouldering at the indoor gym and, you know, one, one, one moment I'm a superstar and next minute I'm just this idiot who all the old dudes wanted me to go and climb, um, this do this climb last night because basically they wanted to laugh at me because it was <laughs> such a ridiculous, hard... It was one of those moves that you either got or you didn't and no one knew where I was, but it was ridiculous. I couldn't do it. But, you know, what does it give me now? And now what climbing gives me is access to these parts in me that I can bring to not just climbing, but the rest of my life, the wholeness of my life, my relationship, my relationship to many people. So um, there's it's changed and it's evolved because I'm not willing to give my life to climbing um, unless it happens. And then I'll take full responsibility and I will give my life to climbing. And that's okay too. I'm just trying to think how to phrase this question. I don't want it to come out wrong. Let it come out. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, how easy it is to get strong quickly mm. these days, which mm-hmm. is awesome. You know, the sport is just, particularly in Australia, I feel like the sport is just really gaining traction. Yes. And it's amazing to think like how much progress we're going to make. I mean, 2021 we're in right now the Mm -hmm. first olympic climbers are about to go to tokyo for the olympic games um so it's amazing to sort of think about the future of the sport um but there's more to climbing particularly outdoor climbing as you know than being strong what are the other kind of ingredients that make a good climber it's so interesting to me because if I'm at the bouldering wall, I'm seeing these crushes. 
and it's still good when I go out on rock because often it's like they're climbing a little lower than me. It's really fascinating, and just just to know how strong these people are, and so. Of course, it's not just strength. Of course, it's timing. You know, on a on a big route, can you conserve energy? Can you relax? Can you really settle into it? Can you read rock when there's multiple choices? The difference between plastic, where so often, I mean, still there's multiple choices on plastic, but it's pretty well set. With rock, you got the entire spread of what's in front of you. So. You know, can you deal with a head game? Can you relax and really settle into that? And can you do the easy stuff easily so you're ready for the for the hard moves? It's really interesting watching my 16-year-old who's so strong but sometimes powers through all the easy moves instead of, you know, finding rest, shaking out, breathing, you know, finding all these these different places and different states so it's not it's definitely not all about power it's why women women are such incredible climbers i love seeing women come to climbing because they bring um they bring something really really valuable with the style and the way they climb they bring technique they bring you know the mechanical motion that really works for rock they bring ballet more than just thuggery which is nothing wrong with thuggery. Sometimes a problem. Just, why not both? Why, why not, not both? both? Why not? You know, not marginalizing anything, bringing it all. And um, I love that women are bringing that to the sport. Because as I said, I think last time when we were climbing, it was, you know, there, was, there weren't many women climbing. There just wasn't. They hadn't had access to it. And um, it was all guys. So... We're really blessed now that and it that it is a sport that women can really thrive in and it brings a lot more to the sport. Watching totally. sometimes one of my favourite things, I actually love watching beta. I love being proven wrong. Like just going, ah, oh, that's actually how you do it. Here I was trying to be a thug. Where actually I just need to grace it up a little bit. Uh so how much do you think you know, being aware of risk and personal limitation, how much does that play into being a good climber? Yeah, I think if you're going to climb, you need to have a good relationship with risk. Like, it is a risk. Now, you can minimise that risk. You know, you can top rope compared to solo. There is a span in that, but it is a risk. And it's something that I think I actually love that's what really drew me to climbing as well was the aspect of risk it's like it needs to not be once everything's becomes sanitized and 100 percent safe we kind of lose something the risk allows us to really double down and do it and really focus and i think you can have the same experience lead climbing as soloing of course it's not the same but maybe for you it's like that's where my risk lies i'm going to do this climb and maybe it's a bit more run out or you know 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 yourself know what you fundamentally why the hell are you climbing because you don't have to no one has to do rock climbing why are you doing it and what's in it for you and what level of risk are you willing to take what level of personal responsibility if you're going to climb you have to take personal responsibility 
for yourself. And I think that's what we did as 15-year-olds. We had to, there was nobody else there. There was no elder there, you know, guiding us. So we started easy and we moved up and we climbed harder and we had to take personal responsibility. And we also got into all sorts of different places where we're learning, where we're untying on things and we had to do this and we had to do that, which wasn't perfect. But we knew what we were doing in that moment. This is dangerous. Switch on, my friend. Like, get your shit together and do what it is you need to do. Take personal responsibility. Have you had any near misses? Um, <laughs> yes, I'd say heaps. I had, I, I hurt myself bouldering. I actually had a near miss bushwalking, which is kind of weird. But it's not weird because how many rock climbing accidents you hear people falling off the top when they're not tied on there's something in when we tie on um but i I was actually in the blue mountains we just off for a walk and my foot slipped and i was just with non-climbers my foot slipped um and i dropped down probably about three meters and landed on a ledge which which had a 40 beside it was a 40 meter drop and i climbed up and i actually went into shock i remember going like it was just really really interesting for me in that moment when I wasn't switched on as a climber I'm so comfortable with you know we are more comfortable than the average person even if you're sitting on top of a cliff you're belaying with your legs you might be sitting over the edge or whatever Mm -hmm. there's a level of comfort that we have so you and yes you're tied on but you still have this level of comfort so you're walking beside something and you you are okay with it and I love that story about Lynn Hill um, and the fall that she took, one of the best women climber of all time. First first person to free climb El Cap. Extraordinary woman. Extraordinary. And she started, the story goes that she started to tie in, got distracted, climbed this hard climb, got to the top of it. I think it was about a 20 meter climb or something around that. Leant over the edge and went off because she hadn't tied in. Now, a beginner would never do that because they check the rope six times. You know, am I tied in? Am I really tied in? I better check that I'm tied in. But when you get so comfortable with it, you don't. And, you know, often we know that. Those, that's where the mistakes, you know. Yeah. What about other near misses that you've had? Uh, let me think. No, there haven't been. I've been lucky. I bail, I've bailed out when I need to bail out. Yeah, yeah. Bailing is a fine art, I think. Is it is is an art. It's like <laughs> the art of failing. We're not great at failing. I didn't make it. I didn't do it. And being okay with that is such an important, you know, skill in climbing. Fail more gracefully, I would say. Well, that's what this podcast is all about. You know, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but um, my before I started this podcast, my partner and I, Andrew and I, used to joke that instead of a tick list, we have a bail list of routes that we've bailed off of, um, you know, iconic routes that we're like, that was sick, that was an awesome bail. Um, and, and that's why I wanted to create this podcast right because I think a lot of people have those experiences but maybe don't 
embrace them as fully as they should. And, um, you know, bailing is in itself a, a wonderful experience, can be, a, you know, a better day than it's, getting to the top of the That's right. Embrace your loser nature. One of the things <laughs> I really love is it's like this whole concept, the end of your life, you feed the eagle with your experience. The eagle comes to you and says, how is your life? What did you do? What have you got to share with me? And it's like, what is it you want to share with the eagle? What is it about your life? Knowing that, don't be afraid of losing. We all lose. In the end, we're all losers. We lose everything. And that, as a metaphor, has helped me through my life to be okay with. Because in the end, we're all going to lose. We're all not going to get that climb. We're all going to have fails. We're all going to have to bail. So I love that you say that. Make bailing an art. Yeah. Like if you're going to do it, do it gracefully. (laughs) And if you, you know, if you're going to climb, um, it's, you know, obviously it's great to send and it's great to, to tick a hard route. But, you know, as long as you have a great story and a great experience and you've learned something, that to me is success. Yes. And some of my best best days have been fails you know when i haven't got the climb or we haven't there's something and in a sense you could say something else was meant for that day don't just get to another great quote that i love is called it's a carlos castaneda quote it's about the path of heart and that you can walk any path try multiple paths but if they don't have a heart it's okay dropping that path that and finding a path of heart and I love that because it's like try multiple things if it doesn't work out who knows what's the next direction the next path where you're going to go where it's going to take you maybe you're just going to have a great laugh that day who knows but we're here for most of us unless you're pro it's not that serious make sure you have a great day you know tick your goals go for them you're going to fail that's okay too be safe and be, be happy. Safe. Come home to climb another day. Like there's always another day. I think that's the that's the that's the the motto of the bail list, isn't it? Really, mm. get home safe so you can climb another day. Yeah. Why Why climb one route when you can climb them all? That's exactly right. <laughs> I love that. Wow. Thanks for getting philosophical. I can't me, help right? myself. I love just, it. Just comes out. Thank you so much for listening to The Bail List. Please reach out on social media at The Bail List if you've got any opinions on today's episode. I know everyone has their own feelings about soloing and I do encourage you to share. We recorded this podcast on the land of the Yugambeh Language Group and we pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thanks so much again to Wild Earth and Awesome Woodies for supporting this episode. We've got another one coming for you next month. See you soon.